0: Does it work? Can you hear me? I wasn't sure if I was called or not. tonight, But uh, I was instructed from important people in the back that I should come forward. It's a great joy to be here this evening and uh, into tomorrow. And really, we're, we're here until, uh, until Wednesday night, Thursday morning. We'll be flying back to uh, New Jersey and we'll be at uh, CMML... Uh, missionary house there where we're staying and uh, the Lord's really opened up a lot of doors for us to be able to um, encourage um, brothers and sisters and uh, in different places and the Lord seems to be working in in really exciting ways and um, my name is Micah Tuttle and my wife Amy is somewhere around here and uh, we have oh there she is I won't make her stand up she'll be embarrassed but uh She's extremely beautiful. She's sitting right here. You can talk to her afterwards. Um, but uh, we have along with us our baby, our last of six. Her name is Elia. And uh, our other five oldest are, are back in CM- at CMML there in New Jersey. Um, my parents came from Portland, Oregon, where we both grew up. And uh, they're seeing their grandkids for the first time in about three years. So um, they're having a good time there. And uh but anyway it is a, a great uh, honor and privilege to be able to be here um sharing this evening and then again tomorrow thank you for the the opportunity. Um tonight I, j- I just kind of want to give you um I guess as the the first time I'm talking to y'all um kind of an idea of where we come from and uh, what the Lord is doing in Peru and how he's opened up the doors there kind of give a missionary report and then um more uh I'll be opening up the scriptures um in the second time tonight and then also tomorrow. But uh um, real quickly, I, I don't necessarily want to preach this passage. I just want to share something quickly from First Corinthians chapter two, um, verses one to three <coughs> by way of introduction. First Corinthians chapter two, verses one through three. I might even get excited and read verse four also. But uh, it says here and I'm reading from the ESV. It says, "And when I came to you brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling." And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Okay, so I, I just, th- these verses right here are extremely encouraging to me, because I kind of feel like I can identify, at least in this passage, with the great Apostle Paul. So, uh, I want to ask, and we're going to just, maybe you can raise your hands. We'll see, uh, how many of you feel like you are great evangelists or missionaries, where the Lord has put you? Great evangelists and missionaries um, on the level of kind of the Apostle Paul. Raise your hand if you feel like you're at that level. No one. Okay. (laughs) Myself included, I do not feel like I, I can attain to such a great evangelist, but look at this. Paul, he's he's explaining here how he came to the Corinthians the first time he went with the gospel. How did he come? Look at this. Verse 1, he says, I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. How many of you feel like you kind of speak with a lofty speech? Great wisdom. Very, very eloquent people. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're extremely eloquent. Consider yourself to have lofty speech. No what? This is incredible. So far, all of you qualify, To be at the level of Apostle Paul evangelist type. Okay, we're going to see if you guys qualify. Continue to look at a few things here. Do you qualify to be an evangelist or a missionary like the Apostle Paul? So far, you all qualify. No one speaks with lofty speech here or very eloquent like the Apostle Paul said. He came without this lofty speech or great wisdom. He did not come with eloquence. Okay, we're going to skip verse 2. We'll come back to that. Verse 3. And I was with you in weakness. How many of you feel, as you start to think about possibly going out into the street to do evangelism this evening, and we're going to pass out tracks on the street corner, begin to preach, and I'm going to just name a couple of now It's your turn to preach, brother. You're going to stand up and preach. When, when I start uh, talking to you this way, and we're going to go out and do this later, do you begin to feel a little bit uh, weak? Raise your hand if you feel a bit weak when thinking about missions and evangelism. Okay, well, so far you all qualify. You're two for two uh, in, in these uh, qualifications that we're looking at uh, that the Apostle Paul. He did not come as an eloquent speaker. He came in weakness. And now, right after that, and I was with you in weakness and in fear. How many of you actually feel a little bit fearful when it comes to evangelism? Huh? This is incredible! we we all are we're three for three. Okay, one more step. In fear and much trembling. How many of you actually tremble at the thought of evangelism? For all of you that raised your hands on these four points, the, the qualifications to be a great evangelist like the Apostle Paul or missionary like the Apostle Paul, you all qualify. This is extremely encouraging to me to read this by Paul. What he did though in verse 2, this is the key. You might not be eloquent. You might actually be weak. You might be fearful. You might actually be trembling. Not only trembling, but much trembling. I remember the first time I ever preached or actually ever shared anything in a crowd and that was at our assembly in Portland, Oregon and I was growing in the Lord. I was reading the scriptures like crazy and I was growing so much. I was so excited. I wanted to share something. I was about 18 years old and I got up in front and I was, I mean, usually uh, it's just the elders that share are very important men and and I got up, on this kid and I'm so excited but I was like, actually, my knees were knocking. I was with much trembling. Verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the message. Christ and Christ alone. Jesus Christ crucified. Him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we might bring every man to perfection in Christ. Preaching Christ. This is our message. This is missions. I remember when I first started to read the Bible... Somebody told me if you read three chapters a day out of the Bible, you can finish the whole Bible in a year. So I thought, this is great. This kind of gives me broken up segments that I can do it and kind of a goal in a whole year. And as I got reading, I couldn't believe the things that I was finding. I started writing in the bi- in, in, in margin of my Bible. I don't understand this. But a lot of times I keep on reading. I find the answer a little bit further along to my questions. I say, oh, here's the answer. And go back and cross that. I found the answer is Psalm 109 or something like that. And uh, But just keep on reading. And I could not believe the things that I was reading. Jesus is God. He rose. He like really rose from the dead. The Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's all about the glory of God. It's not about you. It's not about man. It's a God-centered gospel. And just reading and discovering these things. And I just felt like I've got to tell people. That I'm not eloquent. I'm fearful. I have great weakness. I'm even trembling. But I've got to tell people, and just realizing, it's all about preaching Christ and Him crucified. Yes, yes, we need to be theologians and study the Scriptures and learn. And we need to teach the whole counsel of God. But it all begins and ends, begins, continues with, and ends with Jesus and Jesus Christ crucified. Risen again. Preach Him. Maybe before I go any farther, I want to share a little bit about our experience of what the Lord is doing in Peru, but before I go on, I should just pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for the opportunity that You have given to us to be Your ambassadors here on this earth. Short amount of time in comparison to eternity. Lord, We ask, like Jonathan Edwards would say, please, stamp eternity on our eyeballs. Give us an eternal perspective. Here for such a short amount of time, in comparison to eternity, only one life to live. Soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. We pray that You would set our hearts on fire. And then people would come to watch us burn. People would come to listen as we preach Christ and Christ alone. Him crucified, risen from the dead. Salvation in Him and in no one else. We thank You for tremendous opportunity that You've given to us to live this life exalting Christ in everything that we do and say and think about and the way that we do it. Please, Lord, we pray that You would begin to do a mighty work in our lives, in our assemblies, in our families, especially, Lord, in the men. Great need for men. Pray that You would raise up men that are willing to take risks for our great God and your great cause. Lord, we put this evening into your hands, and tomorrow also, this weekend, we just pray that you would encourage us. In Jesus' name, Amen. About 16 years ago, Amy and I, and uh, we had two little boys at that time, and uh, now we have six. The Lord's really blessed us a lot, but uh um, we went to Peru about 16 years ago to go and work with Bert and Colleen Elliott. Um, Bert Elliott is uh, the brother, or was the brother of Jim Elliott. And almost everyone has heard of Jim Elliott um, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, what he cannot lose. And uh, Jim going and being a martyr um, with uh, four other missionaries there in the jungles of Ecuador. Well, Bert Elliott went, went to Peru about five years before Jim ever went to, uh, to Ecuador. Both of them actually as brothers had a garbage business in Portland, Oregon. And uh, they're from our assembly that were commended from uh, Eastgate Bible Chapel in, in Portland, Oregon. And uh, But they had a garbage business and they had a garbage truck and they just had this route, and they would go and collect garbage at five in the morning and they'd get that garbage and throw it in the back of the truck and they'd sing hymns as they went and left tracks on top of the garbage can and just continued on and uh, praising the Lord and worshiping Him and trying to evangelize everything that moved. And then uh, the Lord uh, sent Bert to, to Peru and, and Jim off to Wheat to study, and and later Jim to Ecuador, of course. But Bert Elliott, the Lord used him and his wife, Colleen, to plant something like 150 assemblies uh, in the north of Peru. And it's kind of a story that a lot of people don't know about. Bert would consider himself, uh, or he would talk about he and his brother being kind of like uh, James and John. Uh, the thumbs, sons of, of thunder almost. But uh, James was killed at an early age at the hands of Herod. We have the story in the book of Acts. And, uh, and really something that... Uh, the seed of the martyrs is, is, or the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church as it flourished there. But uh, and then also, uh, Bert, uh, kind of like the Apostle John almost, uh, the Apostle of Love. He was just uh, a very loving man and uh, quiet. But the Lord used him in so many ways to exalt Christ and to start assemblies all over the north of Peru. Um, the Lord used them in amazing ways. They would come back to our assembly every couple of years and give a missionary report. And we'd see some slides and things like that. And uh, uh, it was always very interesting. And actually, when I finally got saved, when I was about 17, 18 years old, reading, reading my Bible, I grew up in a great Christian home. But still, basketball was my God. Sports was my God. I actually slept with my basketball. My basketball's name was George. It is just a... It's a ridiculous story. It's kind of embarrassing, but uh, I got saved from basketball. The Lord tore my ACL in my left knee, and all my dreams of playing uh, together with Michael Jordan went out the window. And uh, and but the Lord saved me from wasting my life in uh, in sports. Now I'm not against sports. I have this like gift of offending people, so I'm sure somebody will come up afterwards and they'll be upset that uh, I just. Uh, uh, said that it's wasting your life if, if you play sports. I didn't say that. I, if I would have spent my life playing sports, it would have been a waste. The Lord uses some people in, in different ways in, in his sports. But uh, um, anyway, I'm backtracking too much here. Um, anyway, the Lord uh, really got into my heart, His Word into my bones. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. I can relate to this verse a lot. Jeremiah is praying and he tells God, I'm not going to speak anymore in your name. Every time I do, they throw me in the dungeon. So he's praying. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart, like a burning fire. It was shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. I love that verse, because I feel the same way. As I read more and more of God's word and began to memorize it, it got into my heart and into my bones like a burning fire. I had to preach it. I had to share it with people. I was an electrician right out of high school. My dad was an electrician. I had the opportunity to get get in with an electrical shop there and I really wanted to uh, marry Amy. We met each other when we were 12 and 13 and so right out of high school I wanted to marry her. And, um, anyway, I, I began to evangelize everything that moved uh, as I was wiring uh, different uh, places and all the people that I worked with. But as I read more and more of the scriptures, His Word got into my heart and I had this tremendous desire to preach it and share with other people. And one of these uh, visits from Bert, he came and uh, um, found out that we were uh, thinking a lot about missions. And so uh, he and his wife invited us to come and work with them in Peru. And so we ended up going to Peru and uh, just our first year followed them around and learned a lot from them on the mission field there in Peru for about 65 years Altogether. And we went when they were about 72 or something like that. But incredible, incredible example. And uh, after that... We uh, in the first year learned from the missionaries there we learned Spanish learned from the culture and uh, really after that decided yes this is something that we want to do long term and so now we've been in Peru for 16 years we're about 4 years on the coast of Peru in a town called Trujillo and then a four, 4 more years we were up in the mountains in the town of Cajamarca and then about 4 more years or no no now the last 8 years we've been in a jungle town uh, it's called Tarapoto that's the name of our, our town where we, we live and work um, um, Really, uh, actually before we went to Peru and uh, just as I was getting into the electrical trade and before I wanted to be a missionary at all... Um, there was a team from our assembly that went to visit the Elliots on the coast of Peru. And it was about 15 people or so. And uh, Amy and I went just before we were married. We went on this team and we went to... And I was growing a lot in the Lord, so was Amy, but I had no desire for missions. And we went there on this short-term trip, about three weeks, saw what the missionaries were doing, learned a little bit about, yeah, different cultures. The first time I'd ever been out of... Uh, out of the United States before into a different country. And so that was uh, eye-opening. But I remember sitting on the plane, returning with Amy, and sat down next to her. The whole team was in the in the plane also, but sitting with Amy telling her, I would never want to do what missionaries do. I would never want to live in a country like that. And uh, everyone else on the team vowed that they were going back to Peru for the rest of their lives. And uh, it ended up, you never say never, God... Uh, Uh, forced us to go to Peru and uh, everyone else, uh, uh, no one else went to Peru. Uh, In fact, one of those people went to jail for about uh, 14 years or something. Um, But the Lord led us to Peru, and uh, now um, villages—the village work in the jungles of Peru—is something that we've had a major focus doing for the last eight years. And uh, it's an area where Bert and Colleen Elliott lived for about 40 years, planting assemblies uh, along the Wajaga River. The Wajaga River is a tributary to the Amazon, and actually to the Maranon, which flows into the Amazon later. Uh, later on downriver, but uh, they would they planted several several assemblies, many assemblies from village to village. They had a houseboat, and they would just went from village to village, preaching the gospel, pulling teeth, helping people, loving people, but preaching the gospel, and um, and making disciples and planting churches. And uh, they left in, during the time of terrorism, the Shining Path, um, in the. <clears throat> Early 80s, I think, and uh, moved to the coast in their older age. And uh, the work was really abandoned for about 20, 25 years. And a lot of the assemblies uh, began to just disappear. Uh, when the older the leaders in the assemblies moved away or died, a lot of the assemblies uh, died with them. And uh, so we were able to go about 25 years later after the work had really been abandoned and nobody had followed up with the work and try to encourage that work. And the uh, Lord has really blessed and given us a lot of opportunities there. Um, some of the villages will go about uh, 45 minutes down the road from our, we live in a town in the jungle, Tarapoto. We take our, our car to uh, the, the nearest port town, which is, the name is Chasuta, and there we have a boat and a lot of times we'll go a couple hours downriver um, in the boat and we'll just go from village to village preaching and, and teaching in these villages. And sometimes uh, we'll park at a village and uh, preach there and we'll need to hike uh, sometimes 10 hours to the next village slogging through mud and swimming across uh, rivers and uh, uh, sometimes carrying along a shotgun hunting for wild boars along the way. And, uh, there's all kinds of yummy food that you can eat. If you guys form a team to come and visit us, we could give you an unforgettable experience. Um, if you need to lose weight, almost everybody that comes to visit us loses weight. So, uh, uh, some of the, some of the trips that we do are, uh, a hundred kilometers round trip as we hike between different villages, but some of the food is uh, monkey meat is very, very good. Alligator, which you guys all eat alligator here in South Florida from what I understand. Um, alligators, very, very tasty. Wild boar brains, those aren't so tasty, but if you put salt on it, it's a little bit better. Um, we have these maggots that are about this big, they're called suris, and you just pop their heads off. Maybe some of you have seen a YouTube where I eat one and I kind of gag and you can look it up. Um, they're not very good but uh the famous drink of the jungle is called masato and uh usually it's uh the oldest woman in the village it seems like she only has two or three teeth left in her mouth and uh she chews yuca boiled yuca which is a root chews that and spits it into a pot and then uh, and it just gets all the, the saliva and the yucca spit juice kind of all. The enzymes in your saliva actually cause it to ferment after a couple of days. It sits there and it gets, starts to get all frothy and it begins to like fume and stuff like that. But uh, after a couple of days, it's your alcoholic drink and everyone in the villages drinks it. Even the believers, and I've preached on this, do not get drunk on Masato but uh, it's so cultural it's just a, a culture thing you have to drink masato and the believers do not get drunk but uh, so if you come visit us you know i have to admit before we were missionaries i never had a drop of alcohol but once i went to the villages you got to you got to drink masato and uh but anyway, it's kinda like Red Bull. It gives you lots of energy and you can just uh work the rest of the day. It's it's really really good stuff. You don't even have to eat anything, it gives you energy, it just keeps you going. So masato, you'll definitely have some masato if you come to, to visit us. Um some of the, the things, the main things to do in the villages basically for entertainment is get drunk, fornicate, and fight. Those are are basically the things that happen in the villages. I mean, people go out and they work and they fish and they hunt. Uh, they work in their in their uh, in the fields. But uh, uh, basically, the men uh, that aren't believers are drunk almost 24 hours a day. A lot of violence and a lot of fornication, and nobody gets married, so not really adultery. It's it's uh, fornication, it's just like adultery. Um, but um, so much need so much need. So many of the missions, Wycliffe uh, uh, pioneers, new tribes, they're really focused on indigenous peoples that speak a different language and they're going to to write a new alphabet and and, and write the New Testament, which is a a noble work and it's so necessary and it's so good what they're doing. But there's about 96% of the jungle people are just normal Peruvian mestizos that that just they speak Spanish they they wear normal clothes they're dirtier usually and much poorer but they live in a in a in a adobe hut which with thatched roof uh, uh, on it and uh, and they hunt and fish the subsistence farmers very very poor but no one is going to them Everyone goes to the indigenous peoples. And no one's going to these normal... And this is 96% of the people that live in the jungle, in the villages. So much need. along the, There's just river after river after river. And, a, and every five miles down river, there's another village of about 500 people. And a lot of these villages, no Bibles, no believers, no Christians. I am invited to villages all of the time. Please, Hermano Miqueas... Come and preach in our village also. We've heard what Christ has done in these other villages. That you've come and preached Christ in these different villages. And there's been a transformation. Less drunkenness. Less fighting. Less fornication. And the leaders in in, in, in all of these villages, they they all want a a better life. They see the results and the consequences of the sin in their villages. And they want me to come. Unbelievers. Uh, are begging me to come to their village to preach and to start churches there. And I just, I don't have, a, I, I don't have any more time. I, I can't be everywhere at the same time. I, I'm working on, on, this, uh, on, on omnipresence. Uh, no, no. Um, but there is so much need. And so much opportunity in these villages. Uh, these villages in this area, it used to be the highest cocaine producing area in the world. And uh, the Drug Enforcement Administration for the United States went in and they, they uh, poisoned a lot of the crops. And then they offered the alternative crop of chocolate. So now a lot of the villagers um, have cacao. That they that they do, but uh, in some places still hidden out farther in the in the into the jungle, people are still growing coca and they make their basic paste, and uh, that brings in a lot of uh, a lot of corruption and, and the money and the terrorism that goes with it. But uh, so much need, so much need. Um, let me just give you an example, I guess, real quick of um, in one of the villages I arrived one evening or no one morning. And uh, they had a couple of guys that were chained up in the main square of the of the village. And as soon as I arrived, the villagers saw that I had come. And they all started saying, oh, el hermano, hermano Miqueas is here. That's me. He'll take care of the problem. And I was wondering, what's this problem? And they got these guys that are chained up. And they told me the story of what had happened. These guys were drunk the night before. And they had kicked in the door of one of their fellow villagers, a neighbor that had some... Some uh, beer, actually, that he was selling in his house. And when there's beer, that's like real. The real stuff. This isn't yucca spit juice. This is beer. And uh, they really wanted that. They, they kicked in his uh, door. And uh, they actually took one of the beer bottles. And they smashed it over the guy's head as he was sleeping in his bed. And they took the glass and they slit his throat with it. And then uh, I arrive. And they're, hey, there's this big problem. Hermano miqueas You'll take care of the problem. And I took this class at Emmaus Bible College when I went. It was called Issues in Missions. And they did not tell us how to deal with these kinds of issues. Uh, but I, I just I give that story to illustrate there are big, big problems. That sinfulness has caused the consequences. And in these villages, just a lot of people that live in the villages are actually from Lima, the big city. Some of them are very educated people. Some of them are doctors and lawyers and, and used to have a lot of money. But uh, they committed some crime in the big city and the law is after them. So they have fled from the law. One of my best guys. Uh, I'm saying all these things. I wasn't going to say. I'm going way over time. Just tell me when I have to stop. I'll just stop. Okay. Um, I don't Oh yeah, somebody else, somebody else that's, just stand up, somebody and yell at me when it's time to stop. So, one of my best guys uh, in the villages, this guy is an evangelist, and, and he's a church planter, he's going to all the other villages, and, and he's, he's just transformed. This guy was on Peru's most wanted list. He actually escaped out of prison in Iquitos. He was on a 40-year sentence. And after the first year, he got this uh, note in prison of how to escape. And it's this un- incredible story. But he escapes and he comes to one of my villages. And I was open air preaching one evening. I was up on top of a table. I always find it's more effective to preach on top of a table. I was trying to figure out how to climb up on this thing. I might fall over though. But uh, um, I was preaching on top of this table and... and he professed faith in in Christ that night. He came forward, even though I, I don't do altar calls, he just came forward and the Lord really transformed the guy and now he he married his woman. He, named, he had a little kid and named him Micaiah after me, so he's got to be a great guy. But... Uh, He he, just, the Lord has transformed this guy. He goes into the other villages and he preaches and he does evangelism. He's trying to plant other assemblies and he's he's actually the vice president of our Bible Institute that we started in the villages. The guy's tremendous, great Bible teacher, man of God, and he's on Peru's most wanted list. Uh, I can't tell you his name because I don't want you to turn to me. He he asked me, what should I do? (laughs) It's another issue in missions that they didn't teach me. What do you do with this? My best guy. The villages. There's so much need, so much need. Church plant in in town, in in our town of Tarapoto. We started uh, an assembly there right from the beginning when we moved eight years ago, and and it was extremely difficult. We started just by ourselves. Um, a couple of villagers that were meeting for a Bible study, villagers that had moved into the city. We started with them and uh, a lot of immaturity and lack of knowledge in the Scriptures. And uh, But just with discipleship and spending time with these people and doing lots of evangelism and discipling people and there were moments when half the church would fall away and, and go back to the world. and it's just so discouraging. But then continuing on and continuing on. In the beginning, I had to preach about six times a week because the Peruvians loved to have they have meetings every night of the week almost and uh and they just insisted and they wanted the uh, a desire and a hunger for God's word and to learn but uh, it was very very difficult in the beginning without a team and now 8 years later it is so encouraging we have elders and deacons and a growing uh, very evangelistic and missional uh assembly we're here now and I'm getting news they're going out into the the new invasions uh, uh, the city grows by people invading other people's land and so these are great places to start churches once they've invaded you go in there and you and you preach the gospel and you tell them all that they're thieves they've stolen land from someone else but um and they recognize their need for a savior but uh anyway it, it's so exciting to see our assembly and their their desire for missions and evangelism and they're going on and doing it now i only preach maybe two times a month which was used to be six times a, a week in our assembly i've there's so many other opportunities as i Talking about and the invitations and, and open airs and, and different places, so much to do, so now i 'm able to focus on some of those other things, and not just on our local assembly that, that we started, but uh, the lord 's really blessed that and it 's been very, very excited uh, exciting to see um, just before we came we, we arrived back in the states about two months ago and uh and we're going to be here actually until August when we're going to drop off our oldest boys at Ames Bible College and they're very excited to go. We're excited for them too, but it's kind of this we've never been through this before and we're the Lord's blessed us with such a neat family and uh we we are really together and we do everything together and now our two oldest boys are going to abandon us and I'm kind of upset about that. Uh, I don't know how we're going to handle this, but uh, so pray for us. Pray for us. But, uh, so we're, we're here until August and the Lord's really opened up a lot of doors for us to be able to share, share, uh, with brothers and sisters across the country. And, and so two months ago, just before we, we came back, we loaded up our boat with about 40, uh, brothers and sisters from our assembly and, uh, and just packed up this boat and we went down river and, and, uh, Spent a couple of days in one of the villages and we just get out of the boat and everybody knows most of the people have gone with me on river trips. I never go alone. I always t- take a bunch of guys with me. And this was the biggest group, 40 people that uh, we fit into the boat. But we just get out. and Everybody's got tracks. Um, they've got New Testaments. They've got eye drops, uh, anti-parasite pills and Tylenol. And with that in your backpack, you can almost heal anyone. It's incredible. It's incredible. I, I'm not a doctor, and doctors have told me, hmm, you need to be careful, Micah. Don't do the, With these things, you won't kill anybody. Just don't go outside of uh, Tylenol and eye drops and anti parasite pills. So, I uh, haven't killed anybody yet, but uh, we've healed all kinds of people. That, and I don't even have the gift of healing. It's uh, incredible. But uh, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls. You need to be careful with that statement. God will get His work done with or without you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But at the same time, He uses people. And yeah, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls. What are you doing? What am I doing? I could do so much more. I I, I find myself wasting so much time. I've just, we've been in, the back, in back in the States for, for two months, and after the first month and a half, I realized, I just, like, get to preach to all these people, great people everywhere we go, and we're kind of in this missionary bubble at the Mission House in New Jersey, and I just kind of am with Christians all the time. and Usually, when we're in Tarapoto, in the jungles of Peru, I go several days a week out into the main square, give out tracts, look to have one-on-one conversations with people, sharing the gospel, or maybe, maybe it'll even be in open air or going from hut to hut in the villages sharing the gospel with unbelievers. After about a month and a half here, I realized I haven't shared the gospel with anyone. i preached the gospel to churches, but I, I want some one-on-one action. And uh, so I've committed to 30 days of evangelism to try to get back on track. And it's been so exciting here in the United States and New Jersey going to the bus station. I went with Craig... Uh, Calvin's son, one day, and and I've gone with different brothers in different times, but we've had some incredible conversations. And one guy I talked to, he just, as I was talking to him, probably about five, eight minutes in, he just broke down, sobbing. And he he told me, you know, I just decided yesterday that I was going to throw the towel in on God. I decided I'm going to be an atheist. But now, you're talking to me about this, and, and judgment to come, but... Hope in Jesus Christ. New life in Him. I can be forgiven. You're talking to me about this? I don't think this conversation is by chance. God sent you to talk to me. And He just broke down. He was sobbing. In between sobs, I, I just was able to take Him by the shoulders and, say, and His bus came. And everybody's getting on. And the bus driver's waiting for Him. And I'm, He's sobbing and I'm talking. I took Him by the shoulders and said, Read the Bible. Go after the Lord. Whatever the cost. Find a solid church that teaches the Bible. I'm never going to see you again. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And he just he got onto the bu- onto the bus, clutching his tract and sobbing. It, it was incredible. And I've just, I mean, I could go on with all kinds of incredible conversations that I've had with people. Share the gospel wherever you're at. I'm not here to tell anybody you got to go to Peru or to the Middle East or be missionaries. It, that'd be great. We, oh, I would love to see. A new generation, raised up, missionaries going out like crazy back in the, in the days of the Moravians. I guess for every ten believers that they had, one was going out on the mission field. For every ten believers, one's going to the mission field. The foreign mission field. This is the major mission field right here. Evangelists needed one of the things that we started and we recognized that uh, after starting our, our church and, and going in, in, from village to village and, and preaching the gospel and, and uh, the churches being revived and some of them starting over again, and we realized we need to start a Bible institute to train some leaders, men. That could uh, effectively do evangelism and, and teaching the Bible and church planting, discipleship. But uh, so we began uh, to, we, the plans to start a Bible Institute and the Lord provided a, a great piece of uh, land, a property for us. We were able to build and, uh, and started a Bible Institute and we had uh, students come from different places around the country, even some from uh, other countries, some of the students. And um, it was a tremendous opportunity as we, the students lived with, with us, they, they ate with us, they prayed with us they played with us we went and did uh, ministry together loaded them in the boat uh, every month i teach my class on the river going from village to village i teach in the morning usually from about six in the morning till about uh, one in the afternoon and then in the afternoons we would all go hut to hut doing evangelism and then we go on to the next village in the evening we'd always do an open air meeting but uh, then on to the next village and do the same thing over again and oftentimes on these village uh, river trips I'm, I'm sleeping maybe three hours a night there's so much need, trying to focus on the Bible Institute students and then the the villagers also, was always, there's always problems in the church, in the village and uh, just dealing with these things. So much need and so much opportunity and so this Bible Institute that we were able to start, it's a seven month course where they live with us and it's intense study where they're taking about 30 theological classes and every class is about 30 hours of study. Uh, they're studying systematic theology, um, books of the Bible, um, evangelism, apologetics, uh, all of your, your normal Bible Institute classes that you might have. But um, it's very exciting to see the students go through that last year. And actually, we're starting a brand new year of classes Monday. And the Lord provided a team to come alongside us, and they're able to take it, and they're going with it, uh, going with the, the school Um, This year without us, so it's a real, a real blessing. We didn't know how this institute was would go. We didn't know if it would really work, and uh, took a risk to do it, and uh, the Lord blessed it, and it's so exciting. William Carey said this. They call him the father of modern missions, missionary to India. He said this: "I'm not afraid of failing. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter." That's an incredible statement. I'm not afraid of failing. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. We're really good at succeeding at things that don't matter. It, it, in the United States, man, this is like Disneyland. And it seems that Americans are very good at succeeding, doing amazing things. And things that don't even matter. In the in the grand scheme of things, eternity. I'm just speaking to myself. I'm speaking to myself. I'm, I'm an American. And this scares me to death. I don't want to stand before God on Judgment Day. And I just did all these great things. And actually, I just did them all for myself. And actually, in the grand scheme of things, all these things I did don't... Really, even matter at all? Is that you? Is that me? If I fail, though, at doing something that, yes, could have an eternal impact, if I fail at it, at least I failed trying to do something that mattered. Not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Lastly, we want to focus on our family. And I shouldn't say lastly, it's just the last point because I want to end on this because I hope to end well on this and drive it home. Good. We have six kids. We're white in Peru. In our city, there aren't any white Americans. Everyone is Peruvian that lives there. And we stick out like sore thumbs. We go walking through the main square with our big family and everybody, they can't believe it. All these gringos and uh, and all these kids and uh, everybody's watching us. And I'm open there preaching and doing evangelism all the time and have lots of opportunities. A lot of people recognize me or, or know me or they've heard me before and they see our family. And with a big family, we have a tremendous opportunity to show the world what a Christian family looks like. They're looking at us. They're looking at Amy and I, our marriage. What does a Christian marriage look like? The world needs that more than ever today in the United States. Man, there just aren't examples. Very hard to find good examples of solid Christian marriage, of good parents, kids that obey their parents and we're not a perfect family at all. That's why I didn't bring all my kids. I didn't want you guys to find out. No, no, no. Someday we would love to come back and, and be here with the whole family. It just doesn't fit into the schedule. Calvin tried to, tried to get us to stay for a lot longer, but sorry, another time, another time. Um, maybe in January when it's reasonable uh, weather. Uh, but it, anyway, the family. I don't want to sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. You know what? My relationship with my wife is more important than the ministry. My relationship with my kids is more important than my ministry. It's kind of concentric circles. My relationship with God, yes. That's the first thing that needs to be right. But as far as earthly relationships, my relationship with my wife is first. Even before my kids. My dad used to say to me, Micah, I love you so much. And he just hugged me. I love you so much. And I knew. I knew that he loved me because, I mean, the way he treated me, everything just screamed. My dad loves me. I knew he loved me. He just hugged me. I love you so much. And then he looked, he pulled me back and he said, But son, I love your mom more. (laughs) And you know what? That didn't make me feel bad at all. It actually made me feel secure. I knew that my dad loved me a lot. And if he says that he loves my mom more than me, that's a lot, 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 lot. I'm not very eloquent. I said that in the beginning. A lot, 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 lot. That's a whole bunch. That's not even eloquent. I don't know how to say it. He loves my mom a lot. And I knew that if he loves my mom that much, he ain't going nowhere. My family is solid on a rock. My dad ain't leaving us. He loves me a lot. and He loves my mom even more. oh. Thank the Lord I got a dad like that. I learned from that. Pray for me. People ask, what, what, what can we pray for you about? Just pray that I love my wife. Pray that I'll be a good dad. If I can get that right, everything else falls into place. Don't want to sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound like bragging, but I'm going to get to the point here. I'm the uh, founder and president of two Bible institutes. I'm uh, kind of a famous evangelist in 30 30 villages where we go and visit. Um, The founder of our assembly in Tarapoto and uh, an elder there. Um, I'm actually the United States of America government representative in our state of Peru, San Martin, where we live. Um, I'm an itinerant preacher and teacher and evangelist. But more importantly, I'm a husband and I'm a dad. That's the important one. Everything else doesn't matter. I mean, that's good. But first, I'm a dad and a husband. And I'll end with this, on this illustration. Once I was in a plane, I was flying from Lima back to Tarapoto was by myself, sat down next to a guy and he's asking me, he goes, so gringo, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm a husband. And he said, no, 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 yeah, no, what do you do? And I was like, oh, well, I'm a husband and I'm a dad. And he's like, no, 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 what do you do? Oh, well, Besides that, I I preach every once in a while. That's how the priorities should be. Whatever job God's given you, your wife is first, man. Then your kids. Then the church, the Lord's people. Then your secular work. Then golf. Or whatever. There's a lot of baseball diamonds around here. Then baseball. Got to get our priorities right. If we want to be successful missionaries where the Lord's put us, we've got to get our priorities right. If you want to pray for me, just pray that I we'll would be a good husband and a good dad. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the families that are represented here this evening. We pray that you would work in our families so that the church might be revived. It's got to start in the home. And God, we thank You for the opportunity that You've given to us to be Your ambassadors here on earth. Life is so short in comparison to eternity. Help us to not waste these opportunities that You've given us in these few short years. Help us to get our families right. And then go out and be bold witnesses for You. We put our lives into Your hands, asking that by the power of Your Holy Spirit, we would be able to live victoriously. In Jesus' name, Amen.